0: How many people are ready to cross Jordan River after that? Okay, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> if you ever notice, that's kind of one of my standby songs. When, they're, when people are, the singer's saying, what do you want for your sermon? And they're trying to come up with things, I go, how about Jordan River? It's simple, but it is powerful and it is focused. And I'm sounding like I'm on Mount Sinai here. <laughs> Okay, how am I now? Is that good? Everyone's eardrums okay? Good, 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 good. Okay, I want you to be turning, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I will eventually get there. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, continue continuing our discussion from last week, the blessed life. And you know, we were talking about a blessed life in a biblical sense is a life of wholeness, of fullness. And so earlier when Leslie was reading from the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you know, talking about whole and full, people that are whole and full, and, and Jesus is talking about that. And as we discussed last week, he came into the world to show us how to live, the life we were created to live, a life that is full, that is whole. Even in a fallen world, when a lot of things happen and we go through stuff, there's still a way to be blessed and have a whole and full life. And he could do that because of his perspective. He, being God in the flesh, he saw things from an eternal perspective, a total picture perspective. We see things from our perspective, which is quite limited. We, living in a fallen world who ourselves have sinned and fallen short of everything we were created for, we may be redeemed and forgiven, but we're still dealing with the effects of our fallenness. We had this perspective that's so limited. That's why we have to trust in Jesus. That's why he says simply, follow me. You can't figure this out on your own. Follow me. Because remember, the, the initial problem... Of all problems that gives us the horrible headlines in newspapers is in Genesis three, man and woman thought they could decide what is good and evil. No longer will I depend on God to reveal that to me i 'll come up with that and initially, that is very appealing isn 't it? you know you 're an individual, give an account for yourself. The problem is we end up Messing ourselves up as well as the communities in which we live. Because all of a sudden something that I think is good may be something that's harmful to Daniel here. But if I'm going to say it's good, I'm going to go ahead and do it. This is good. And something you may think is good is harmful to man. you do it and all of a sudden man is his own God. And so we pick up the newspaper. We turn on the news. And we're not surprised. That's why God entered the world through Jesus. You know, He didn't stay far away and say, "Come on, get right. Let's jump through this hoop." He came to experience what does it feel like. I so appreciated what what Bill shared, like uh, what he shared about in Gethsemane, that Jesus felt the fear of the flesh. Jesus wanted to feel what is it like to be a man and a woman. In a fallen world, what's it like to want to do the right thing? To want to live a better life, a full life, a blessed life, but everything around you is just mitigating against that? What is that like? That's what That was the heart of God. I want to feel that so that I can truly help. I won't give Daniel and Sheridan and Brian and Angela and on and on. I'm not going to give them nice little principles Are cute thoughts. Leslie, you want a cute thought? Have a happy thought? No. I want to show them how to be whole and full the way they were created to be. And I'm going to say, follow me. I want you to experience a life that you were created to do. And so he came, he felt it, he experienced it, and he rose from the dead and said, follow me. Now, We talked about that last week, and just all that Jesus came to bring. And those Beatitudes, and we talked about the two different ways to look at them. But what happens if we don't do that? What happens if we decide, you know what, I want to be religious, I want to come to church, I want to do things, you know, good things, I don't want to go kill people, you know, but we still go to ourselves as a source of good and evil, even when it comes in areas of spirituality. What happens? I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to look at this because, you know, there have been some very noble attempts throughout the history of mankind. Men and women have done some extraordinarily good things. It's interesting, you know, we talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you realize that the word good is not in the text at all? It's never in there. So why do we call him Good Samaritan? Because he's good. you know. Everyone, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. Buddhist, Muslim, it doesn't matter. The idea of helping a fellow human being, that's a good thing. And so oftentimes we will hit on good things the way God created it. He created us in our image, so yeah, we will stumble and do some good things. But what happens if we're not connected to Him, seeking leading and guidance from Him for what really is good and bad? All of a sudden we end up religious, but something's wrong. Something's wrong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3... Paul is talking about the glory of the new covenant and how the, uh, this glory does not fade. And so he uses an analogy. He says, you know, it's kind of like Moses. You know, Moses would go up to um, uh, Mount Sinai when he received the tablets. You know, of course, he, he broke the first tablets, all right, when they were rebelling, so he went and got some more. And God, so the word of God engraved on stone, he's coming down, but because of that time he spent in God's presence, there was a, a radiance about Moses. And he would have to put a veil over himself because, you know, it was just too wild for people to handle. When someone is, is walking with God like that, it's just the, the impact can be too much, so he'd put this veil. And so Paul was kind of using that uh, analogy, and I want us to pick up here. And in talking about the new covenant and the glory that doesn't fade, he says in verse 12, 2 Corinthians 3, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into His likeness. We are becoming whole. We are becoming full. We are blessed. That is what God is doing with us. But notice what he says here, that for many in the people of God, the veil still remains over their minds. They cannot see what God has said, and only in Christ will it be taken away. Why is it that when Jesus came in the world, many of God's people followed him and many rejected? Some had the veil removed and saw clearly what the teaching of scriptures had always been about. Others held on to their own definition of what is good spiritually and what is bad spiritually. And they formed their own type of religion that would acknowledge Yahweh but was not following his ways. That's happened to me before. I was baptized in Christ 44 years ago. But not every day did I just say, God, I want you to tell me what's good and what's bad. No, there was times I had, you know, all of a sudden I felt myself marking it by attendance at activities. And don't get me wrong, attendance is absolutely important and essential. But what I was starting to do is I was using obedience to certain commands as a shield to not obey others. You know, let me do the stuff that I can do, but to get down the real surrender of Sheridan's heart... Man, I'd kind of lost that, and I'd have to go back and have my heart convicted and and, and repent and and go, and God, I need you, and once again say, you tell me what's good and right. I, I don't want to run my life. Please, you do that. Because you see what happens when I start down that path, and if I continue that path, I end up in a place that I don't want to be. And I want us to read where that is. Look at Matthew. Chapter 23, Matthew 23. Now, it's quiet in here right now. It'll probably get a little more quiet as I read through this passage here, okay? You will find no stronger rebuke from the Lord Christ than Matthew 23. It was to religious folk. It was to people who claimed to be the people of God. And you will find nothing more strong than what he says here. Why did he say it? Did he come to condemn? He did not come to condemn. We could do that on our own. We were already condemned. He came to save. But the first part of salvation is opening your eyes. is being willing to have the veil removed. I, I want to see it. So sometimes we have to see What's the worst case scenario to make us sensitive? You know what, let me make sure I'm looking in the right direction. Isn't that something? Why is it that we eat the way we eat? Well, some of you aren't eating good anyway. Uh, why is it that I ought to stay away from Krispy Kreme? I'm not gonna do that. I've lived a good life, so I'm, I'm gonna take my chances there, all right? So, but no, why do people eat right? Because You know, doctors have said, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. They don't spend their life going, oh my goodness, I could die, I could die. What they just start doing, let me just start eating right, all right? And they feel good, and they do things like that in much the same way. Let's see the bad stuff so that we can go, hey, I definitely don't want us to go down that road, all right? Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds... uh, said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Stop there for just a second. This is spirituality 101. You respect God whether the messenger is worthy of that respect or not. Someone opens a Bible, I'm going to listen to that. Even if they're not doing what they're doing, but it's like, it's that ability to, you know what, the minute they sat in Moses' seat, what is that? They sit and they read from the Torah, and they read from the prophets. The minute they're doing that, bingo, I am listening, I am wide open, even to go though the guy that's sitting in there, he's not really doing what he should do, Right? But it's that thing. Jesus said, look, you always respect the word of God. Always. He goes, but don't do what these guys are doing because they do not practice the very things they're teaching. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything is done for men to see. They make the phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ." The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat. And swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we, have not, we would not have taken part with them In the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord. I like to read that chapter. I use the word like in a very loose translation, all right? I don't like it in the same way I like reading Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I like it because it challenges my heart. I like it because I realize that the most dangerous thing in our society is not so much violence, racism, poverty. Things. These are horri- horrific. and The most dangerous thing is an apparent promise of God that turns out to be false. Because right there is the solution to all of the bad stuff. Right there is the hope. Right there is the reason Jesus came in. And when Sheridan writes saying, I'm a Christian, and if I live a way that is not of Christ, that destroys, that produces that despair, that despondency, that lack of hope, that finally some people say, well, bag this God stuff. Forget it. And I have done horrific damage. Now let me tell you this. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. Anyone could look at me and say, okay, well, I see this in your life, therefore I don't believe in God. Well, that's on you, because no one's perfect. But what I have to do is I've got to be open. You know, I don't confess my sins one to another, James five sixteen, just because that's something that was done way back when. I've done it not only for my own soul's sake, but for other people's soul's sake. I've done it so that, that other people will know, you know, the guy's trying. At least he's not trying to get away with something. At least he's trying to do that. We used to do that with our kids. We'd ask them, and I told you all this. The only reason is I know that if once I'm locked and loaded to what I think is right and wrong, I'll go down a path and I'll sprinkle Jesus' name in there and do a lot of things, but all of a sudden that path has diverged. It starts small, but my whole focus is on me, what I think is right and wrong, not seeking God. And so somewhere down the line, I end up here and I'm going, how in the world did this happen? How did it happen? And all of a sudden, I'm tithing mint, dill, and cumin, but I don't care about justice, faithfulness, and mercy. I'm doing some commandments. I'm coming to church. I'm doing stuff, but my heart doesn't belong to God. God. I'm too busy, I got my stuff, and this is what's good, and this is what's bad. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to get things reconciled. I don't want to put forth any extra effort. I don't want to reach, I don't want to do. So let me build my own religion. And then what do I do with the people that I influence? Oh, no. I pass it on that becomes the most soul-destroying thing for other people. We're always going to have sin to deal with. It's the nature of the battle, isn't it? But the more transparent we are, we're open, we're confessing it, we're continually forgiven, but you know what? Anybody can respect that. In fact... What gives people hope that are not Christians is not seeing somebody that has done everything right that is without fault, crosses every T, dots every I, because they look at that person and say, no way, man, this doesn't apply to me, I can't do anything, but it's the person they see, wow, you know, this person's kind of messed up, but they're open about it. They apologize. They're talking. What makes them strive? And you know what? They're getting better. They're changing. All of a sudden, what does that do? It breathes hope into the community. People go, wow, if Sheridan can do it, if God can help Sheridan, I think God can help me. What makes Sheridan be open? What makes him want to do this? Why in the world? Where is this God? But for some reason, it's meaningful to him. Man, he's got a lot to change, but he's trying. What makes him do that? Why not just say fully on it all and just do what what makes him? That's the stuff that gives people hope. That's the stuff that will allow people to have a full and whole life because they will open their hearts to Jesus. We don't want to be Matthew 23. So how do we prevent that? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3. It's really easy, but it's really challenging as most things. 2 Corinthians 3. Notice what Paul was saying there. <clears throat> that there will be a veil. You know, and any time that I'm looking to me to define good and evil and not God, then it comes to my spiritual life. And if I'm going to be the source of good and evil and not God, then, you know, again, I'll build up my own thing. What happens is a veil comes over me. I'll I'll read the Bible, but I I read it through a veil. I read it, you know. I'll start picking and choosing. I won't. I'll just, that's the way, you know. So how do I get rid of that? How do we do that? Ah, look what he says in verse uh, 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, that's such a short, trite, little statement. But that's it. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Two questions. Do I want to learn? Secondly, do I want to change? That's that's how I turn to the Lord. I turn to Jesus and say, I want to learn. What is good? What is bad? I mean, I know among us, we can come up with our own thing. Man, always come. But Lord, when it comes to serving you, praising you, living for you, what is good and bad? I want to learn that. I want to learn that. And most importantly, once I learn it, I want to actually do that. Change it. I want to change it. Nothing will ever change if we don't want to learn and we don't want to change. So for me to turn to the Lord, I'm turning to Him, and that's what I'm answering. Those are the questions. And I bring that up to Him, and I bring that up to my brothers and sisters in Christ, the relationships here. Here's what I'm working on in my life. I want you to pray for me. I want you to ask me about this. Now, why would I have someone do that? Because I want to learn, and I want to change. That's the only reason. And guess what? My flesh is still tempted to not do that. My flesh, and there's a lot of things. If I want to watch a TV show, the TV show is telling me you're the source of all information and good. They're not telling me that God is. If I want to go to the movies, that's telling me I'm the source. If I want to read a magazine, I mean, it's, it's all around me here, so why would I even bring it up? That's the purpose of the church, to be open because I want to learn. I'm turning to Jesus. Tell me, what has he taught you? How, what did you do when you were in this situation? How did you change? And all of a sudden, boom, things are starting to change. And I'm making sure I'm going this direction from Matthew 23 rather than walking toward Matthew 23. Two things I want us to think about in closing here. First of all, in James 1, We're asking these questions of ourselves Do I want to learn and do I want to change? And turning to the Lord means we're asking that, but here's how He will accomplish it. In James 1, and there in uh, <clears throat> verse 21. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He will be whole. He will be full in what he does. I need to humbly accept the word that's been planted in me. I need to humbly accept the word. I'm turning to the Lord. What does that mean? I'm humbly accepting his word, not my word. And there are two things I want you to think about in closing here. To do this, to humbly... I want you to accept the word that Jesus is the way. He's not a way. Okay? We are Christians. Jesus is the way. If you're not a Christian yet, he is the way, not a way. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not like a multiple choice. Hey, you know, Jesus got some great ideas. I'd like to put some of these in. and Oh, he's awesome. He's a wonderful rabbi. He's a great man. Yada, 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 yada. No, you know what he said? To Philip, he says, I am the way. Not a way. The way. The truth. The life. He is the way. Am I going to humbly accept that? He is the way? He is the way. You know what that means? He tells me what the meaning of life is. What the purpose of life is. What the way through a challenging time is. What the path of godliness in an ungodly world is. What the act of forgiveness is all about. The way. He gives me all of the these that I need to know. But it's not a suggestion. You see, if I'm humbly receiving this, I've turned to the Lord. I'm saying, He is the way. So here I am. I am a Christian. I listen to Him. He is the authority. It's not me. It's not America. It's not anything else in this world. It is the Lord Christ. And that is what I do. I need to accept. He is the way, not a way. Secondly, I need to seek God's will. That's an obvious point, isn't it? There are a lot of times I've read books and I've studied things in the Bible about seeking God's will. I have a great little study, you know, it talks about all the places, where it talks about doing God's will. It's really great. It's wonderful. It's a, but it's no good if I don't do it. I sometimes can satisfy myself with an awareness. I'm aware of this, Hey, you ought to seek God's word. Man, I'm glad I came up with that. Man, I feel great. This is awesome. That's a deep spiritual thought. It's not supposed to be a deep spiritual thought. It's supposed to be a way of life. I seek it. What does that mean? That's my focus. That's what I'm looking for. You know, I can lose my car keys. I can lose my phone. I can do all this. I don't go, you know... Walking well these days sometimes I do walk around, forget what I was looking for. But when I was younger, when I was younger, when I didn't have something or couldn't find something, I sought for it. I would paint that I mean it was like a laser focus. There was nothing there because I was that's what it meant to seek for whatever it is. When it comes to our lives, I seek the will of God. I now I have a choice, I can seek my own will. I can go back to me deciding, or I can go, what is your will, God? And initially, there may be scary things. There may be things that cause me to doubt. There may be things, I don't know if I can do this, but I remember the way. And I remember him in Gethsemane. And I remember what he did when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what he did? He goes, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. I am surrendered all the way. This is beyond scary. It could give every reason to doubt, and yet he faced it because he saw beyond it. See, that's what I do—is I'm seeking the will of God. What is your will, Father? What is your—that's scary, Lord. I don't think I could do that. I'm just—that would be humiliating to apologize. That would do all. No, no. There he is in Gethsemane, saying, "Follow me," because you know what happens after crucifixion resurrection, newness, wholeness, fullness. I read uh, something earlier this week by Madame uh, Guyon, I think that's how you say her name, a, a, a mystic back in the 1600s. She said, God gives us the cross, and the cross gives us God. Let's seek his will. Sometimes there's a cross. A lot of times there's a cross in that. But you know what we get? We get God as we go to that cross. I want us all to have a blessed life. I want us all to have a full life. I want us all to have a whole life. But I don't want to do that because that's a cool thing for us to do. I want us to do that because that's what we were created to have. And that's why Jesus came in the world to do this. You feel something on your heart, like, man, I just really need to make some changes. Talk to somebody. Get some help. Do it today. Take the opportunity. And let's all live a blessed life. Join with me in a word of prayer. And singers, you guys get ready to come up. And we'll close with a song here. Let us pray. Father, thank you.